You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Simon. And oh, we're, we're live from the Sunset Retirement Villas. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to have to put that bit on, aren't I? I'll put it on as an Easter egg, maybe. Me comp- yeah, me turning into... Well, I turned 50 last week, didn't I? Oh, yeah. 50 is the new 60. Do you know who the right? Prime Minister is? <laughs> All right, okay. Want a cup of tea? Yeah. Uh, and for the benefit... Can I change your bottom? <laughs> uh, and for the benefit... Of anybody who didn't hear what we were talking about before, because it won't be on at the start of the podcast, I meant to start by saying something and completely and utterly forgot what it was, literally, as we pressed record. You still look very confused. All right, but I did ask a question of these guys just before we came out this evening, and so why not? I'll throw it out. Because um, on Twitter this afternoon, and I can't remember the exact circumstance, something came up on my timeline that somebody had retweeted. And I hovered the cursor over the guy's name, as you sometimes do, because if you see a tweet from somebody that you may be supposed to recognise, you kind of hover to sort of see if it's who you thought it was or whatever. Yeah, and then you find out where they live. Well, I don't think you find out where they live. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, this guy, he writes music for TV, and his description on Twitter that he'd put there said, I write music for TV, so you don't have to. And it just made me think, I've been using this tagline at the start of the podcast ever since we started, what, six years ago, seven years ago? And I don't think I made it up. I think I got it from somewhere. I think I'd heard it somewhere, or it was some kind of a meme or something. But I have no recollection of where I heard it, if Mm. indeed I did hear it. So does anybody listening who's heard me say, so you don't have to... God knows, 300 and something times by now, if you've been listening to the start. Does anybody listening know where it might have come from? Was it a meme? Because I Googled. And when I you, when you came in and you said, you, you put, you said, oh, I've got, I've got a tagline. And you, you said it to us. That. Yeah. And we all went, yeah, well, I think one of us went, oh, that's not very good. It might be Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he said, no, I'm going to use it anyway. But it sounded like because I needed it, it to it go felt in. like an, an idea that came from your own head, as opposed to you picking up from somewhere else. Do you think so? Yeah, maybe. It I was, remember but... the very minute. <clears> and it sounds like the sort of thing that you and get you got really with excited. some insurance advert or something like that. Maybe looking yeah. after your such and such insurance, so you don't have to. Could, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. that means it could be anything. But. Presumably, if it has turned up on an advert, no other adverts would have used that line. So if there was an advert, maybe somebody can mm. remember. So, humans have been around a long time. I think Aristotle, Aristotle might have said it. Socrates, did, you know. Who came up with the name Blue Box Podcast? No, that was given to us. Was that it? was Mike at the magazine. How was it? Yeah. How long ago? Well, whenever we started. What is it? Six and a half years? That's interesting, isn't it? Why? Because there's another one out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, okay, and here's another conversation I was having with somebody else, like, earlier today or yesterday, I think it was earlier today, and 
we were talking about there was a rumor when it was found out that Chris Chibnall was taking over, and when they started gearing up towards production, there were all these sorts of rumours coming out, and one of them that the ten episodes were going to comprise one story. Oh, yeah. And so there were there was that rumour, and there were various other rumours as well. One of the rumours was there wasn't going to be... Or, well, some of them are rumours, and some of them are speculation. One of the speculations was that, that we wouldn't see the TARDIS till the end of the series, and the series would be the story of the Doctor and the companions tracking down the TARDIS. Mm. That was, I guess that was speculation, and the rumour was that the ten episodes were going to comprise one story. But another rumour that went around quite strongly was that Chris Chibnall would do three series each 18 months apart. Oh, So, and that was a rumour rather than speculation, I think, Mm. because I... Because the thing about rumours and speculation is, if it's speculation, people say, oh, I wonder if... And if it's a rumour, people will say, oh, I've heard that. And this is one of those things that comes with, I've heard that. So it may or may not be true. But I was discussing it with somebody today in private message. Sort of, you know, what do you think? Is it likely to be true? Because <clears throat> this time last year, they were just gearing up to start production. If you remember, I think mm. they started filming last week of October or first week of November. And that's why it came up, because I just said to him, you realise that if that rumour's true, we'll know within a few weeks, because they won't have started production again. Mm-hmm. But it, but the reason I uh, bring it up now is because it just suddenly occurred to me while we were talking about it, that it is now 10 years since having one series a year after the previous one in the same part of the year was a regular thing. And in the last 10 years, that has only happened once. Series 8 and Series Mm -hmm. 9 are the only two series that have followed each other in the same part of the year, with the entire series in one go, that is. Mm. So it just strikes me, 10 years where we've not had that, where it's been a regular thing that Doctor Who has basically been 18 months apart Mm. so this rumor about chris chibnall three series across four years with an 18 month gap in between each one so we'd be looking at spring 2020 and then autumn 2021 so i don't know it just struck me that maybe that rumor's got more weight than i thought Mm. so that was it sounds like a more practicable practicable (laughs) it's a word it is a word isn't it practical yeah practical arrangement yeah, as far as because I mean, in the days of Russell T. Davis, it was we've since learned that it was really like intense, mm. full on production to yeah. do that 12 month cycle. So, like, it's only another six months, isn't it? It's no big deal, not really. Basically, Doctor Who breaks actors as well as writers. Mm. So, David Tennant slowly fell apart, so presumably had to, had to finish. Mm. So, this gives them a chance to. Not just not just recover, but also do other things. Because mm. Jodie Whittaker's starting to do films as well. Mm. So it's a way of keeping her, perhaps, for longer, as well yeah. as Chibnall. And if as well if as you other. do nine months every 18 months, that gives yeah. you nine months downtime in the meantime to do other things. Whereas if you've only got three months off and you're actually looking at big-budget movies, mm. you might not be able to get a big-budget movie in, in three months. Mm. And it also works with the sort of blurring between TV and film Exactly. Ever, ever more blurring between TV and film. You've moved to almost like a film, a film release because you don't get unless it's, it's yeah. unless it's Harry Potter or 
Well, even Harry Something Potter like then went to 18 months a year. But then it has to go to... Mm. Yeah. So yeah, well, this is what I said to him, mm. who I was talking to. I said Doctor Who's kind of outgrown being a TV series. Mm. It's like when it was nine months of the year, every year to get it in on schedule, they really were being pushed. Mm. And as viewers will come up with the argument, oh, but if it's not once a year, every year, and you don't know when it's starting, then people won't know it's back on. And I'm like, well, for <laughs> Christ's sake, it's on for like, Two or three months, and then it's off for nine or ten. Yeah, and they they kind of try to let people know as well. Yeah, I mean, as long as they promote that it's, it's like coming small, back. Small things trickle out. It's on at the cinema. Sides of buses. And I mean, yeah, pretty Norton. much every bus stop in yeah. Exeter has got yeah. a lovely day glow picture. Of and it Jody was Whittaker. on before Venom, so it's in the cinemas. This this trailer. And there's has been it? a lot of TV. Has anyone gone to see Venom? I went to see Venom. Was was it all right? Yeah, it's fine. It's exactly okay. what you imagine a superhero anti-hero film to be. Okay. No, no better or worse than any other one that seems to be out there at the moment. I thought it was pretty okay. good actually, and I know I don't know what people think. And was I know, it, I was don't it as funny as Deadpool? <laughs> no, um, Deadpool is hilarious. It's brilliant yes. and it's self-aware. Yeah. With Venom, there's a tongue in the cheek. Uh, you know, it's kind of like there's humour there. It's right. quite dry. It's not too forced. Okay. It's not massively funny, but it's yeah. it's quite a nice relief relief because it's quite a dark. Um, it's much darker film than the other ones. Venom's particularly interesting because he is a, a really good character in it. Right. Yeah. You, you don't actually think that he's going to be a character. You think he's just going to take over this human and that's it. But actually, it's a really nice thing going between Tom Hardy and the symbiote that's taking okay. him over. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, I thought it was right. I mean, it's, you know. I don't know why it was a 15. They should have made it a 12A. Right. If they were going to go. They could have made it an 18, thrown in a little bit more blood and gore, and that would have been fine as well. But I think the tone wouldn't have been right. It's definitely a 12A tone. Right. Right. I should answer that question for you, if you like. Go on, then. In America, all but the very highest rated movies are open to anybody. They're equivalent to 15. You're allowed to go in and see it if you're under 15, as long as you're with somebody who's over 15. So, movies that are made primarily for the American market follow the rules of the American censorship boards. Mm-hmm. So when they translate across the Atlantic and you get a 15 certificate and people under 15 aren't allowed in to see it, the movie hasn't been tailored for that regime mm-hmm. of censorship. And the thing about censorship in this country is they don't put a certificate on it according to the tone of the movie. So they won't look at a movie like you've just described, and say, well, actually, 12-year-olds would like to see that. What they do is they actually have a totting board of various infractions that happen during the course of the movie, Mm. and at the end of the totting up, they score it according to the things that are on the scoring board, and if, say, if the C word appears, automatic 15. If the F word appears, automatic 12. If it appears three times or more, automatic 15 so on and so forth. Mm. If there's a headbutt, automatic 15. If there's a punch, automatic 12A. Stuff like that. I don't Mm. know specifically what the rules Mm. are, but these are the things they tot up, and this is how they make the decision. So what you're really asking is why they didn't edit it for the... Well, what I'm I'm saying is if it's like a 12A... But the answer to that question is, these days they tend not to, don't they? Because there's more... 
there's a worse reaction to them editing it than if they yeah. just up the certificate by three years. I mean, there's 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 a uh, the odd head is bitten off basically, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but you don't see it. <clears throat> right, oh, right, right. You if you don't see it, you don't it doesn't count it. on the totting board. Exactly, you don't see it, and that's interesting editing. It's almost like it was an eighteen. They've, t- they've taken it out. I can almost see mm. the edit, right? Um, whereas when you watch something like The Punisher, or I, th- I think The Punisher is fifteen, um, and Daredevil, I mean, there's some massively gory moments mm. in that. You see mm. full-on headshots, people's heads getting squished in car doors. It's pretty nasty stuff, and you think, well, how come that can be a fifteen? And then something say like Venom. Is House of Fifteen? You think what? It had one F word in it. There's no real blood at all in any of it. Um, I didn't quite. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was, it was an okay film. I wouldn't pay to go and see it at the cinema. If, uh, I think it's a it's definitely a DVD release. There's a bit probably of mates and a few beers. Yeah, there's probably something there that triggered a fifteen. It probably yeah, would have probably. been a twelve, but for one thing. But like I say, they tend there's some funny lines in it. <laughs> Do they? Don't answer if you think it will spoil it. Yeah. Do they address the Spider-Man connection at all? Or do they just no. pretend it's in a different... And right, it doesn't, so they don't address the fact that it looks like Spider-Man. He doesn't, actually, that much. Well, it does. It looks like Have you seen costume. the film, though? I've seen clips from it and pictures doesn't, of the... It doesn't look like him. Hmm. It looks like his... Okay, all right. It looks like his eyes. That's it. Okay. Everything else about him, giant tongue, massive teeth, full-on, you know, mm. slimy black thing, It's that's not Spider-Man. It's just the... But Deadpool looks like Spider-Man, and that's addressed. Because it's, it's it's a funny way of doing it, and I think what Marvel are doing, um, or not Marvel, because uh, it's not owned. This is Fox. Isn't it's it? Fox, isn't it? But mm-hmm. it's in association with Marvel, and I'm wondering whether they're toning things down so they can slip it into the MCU, which I think they want to do. They want to bring Venom in mm. at some point. Yeah, they, about, they would like to. You heard about James Gunn? No, he's gone over to Suicide Squad. He has. Yeah, he's gone over to DC. Which I tried. What, Two fingers wow. to Marvel. Oh dear. Except I tried watching the the first Suicide Squad last week. Yeah. Did you watch the extended version though? I I didn't watch the whole <laughs> the whole normal <laughs> version. I don't think the extended version's better. Is it better? But okay. only fractionally. Does it have the same plot and the same characters? Yeah, it's just got a bit, bit more of an extension of the Joker and stuff, which it needed. Okay, so because it's like the original, but it goes on for longer. Goes on for longer, gives you a little bit more of the Joker. Okay. Gives you a bit more. Yes, it's an extended version, not a different movie. Yeah. No, it just gives okay. you more of the characters. It's, no. it's... So we get more Jared Leto, is that his name? Yeah, but actually, yeah. the I second time I watched this... Don't you like him? I thought, was, I thought he was really? terrible in this film. Okay, I've not seen it, so I don't yeah. know what he's like in that. But you mm. should... I, I, everything I've seen him in, mm. I've always thought he was wonderful. Oh, okay. But he was better in the edit, in the new edit, the final, what it was called, director's cut. Is he going off on one a bit these days? Because I don't think I've seen anything with him in for a few years. He was in Blade Runner as well. Yes, he was. And he was off on one a bit in that, wasn't he? It actually? wasn't pitting. Come to think great, of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he wasn't in it, it would have been probably a better film, actually. We won't it, go into that. That's his, a half his, hour discussion. His, his but, character. But then we've seen, I've seen, have you seen pictures of um, uh, Joaquin? Uh, no. Phoenix. Phoenix, Phoenix yeah. as the new as Joker. The new Joker. Yeah, yeah, he looks really good. Yeah. Ooh, it looks like actually, it's a bit like um, it's going to be a version of King of Comedy. Is it mm. King of Comedy? The Scorsese movie. Yeah, mm. bit like the one that, where, but, yeah. but with the, the Joker. Joker. So, oh, okay. and I think Scorsese's <laughs> involved in the Joker movie. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, Joe, yes, he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's got sort of it's going to have kind of score. It's like 
yeah. the Joker transplanted into a Scorsese universe. So he plays. A does it sound great? He plays a sleazy yeah, comic. Yeah, does. I don't but mind sleazy but failing comic. Or something yeah, yeah, I can like see that, that as a low yeah. budget, yeah. sort of side movie yeah, to the I don't mind. superhero universe. Yeah, I like I like things being mixed up, scrunched up. But it's got to be. Well, oh, God, it's got to be half decent. Isn't it? The whole, but the whole for me, the whole Gotham thing is you can do it in different, yeah. in different ways. Yeah. It's different from Marvel, but Gotham is you can go down the kind of the realistic route or the Tim Burton route. Yeah. Mm. Or was presumably the sleazy Scorsese route. It's and almost like the Marvel Universe is that bit more flexible to contain these things in one. Whereas yeah. DC is all about it's a bit like Sherlock Holmes. You, yeah, yeah, it's compartmentalized. Yes, yeah. So you just get this different slant on the same. Yeah, yeah. although franchise, although Justice League didn't work because well, not none of them have worked. Have they? I'm still determined no. to go back and start watching them. You should, just just morbid you, you should you should anyway I think yeah just do it anyway it's anyway mind you just miss the middle one of the su- Superman and versus Batman just don't bother with that one <laughs> <laughs> but watch the director's cut it is slightly better <laughs> well you just mentioned James Gunn moving on to a project and yeah. it's a sequel project yeah why the hell is David Fincher down for World War Z two because he was persuaded by Brad Pitt desperate. That's just insane to me. But if he doesn't, I mean, if the material's there. Well, maybe, but the the first one, no. What the why would, am, I, am I about why to find would out David what, Fincher be in it for the money? Am I about to find out what that you weren't actually quite so generous about giving me a copy of World War Z on Blu-ray? <laughs> what do you mean? You gave me a copy of Blu- World War Z on Blu-ray. Did I, I thought, well, that's generous. But I'm about to find out why you weren't so generous. <laughs> no, because I had two. I've got one at home. Oh, okay. I know oh, I liked it. Oh, okay. I don't think it's a brilliant movie, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. But it, the impression I get is it was a, it was a movie that had problems in its production. Yes, it did. And that means I've got a feeling they're going to take a good run up. They know how to do it now. Yeah, maybe. So World War Z two might very well be the film they thought World War right. Z, would which be. is closer to the punk David Fin. Yeah, but, but David my point Finch. is more that Fincher is somebody who, ever since Alien Resurrection, that was his very not Alien Resurrection, Alien Three, which was mm. his very first movie, has never taken on anybody's project. Even the movies uh, early on, Fincher was, I'll do one for me and I'll do one for the studio, one for me and one for the studio. The idea being the studio pictures would be the bigger budget ones that he did for the money so that he could afford the time and uh, wherewithal to do his own more personal movies in between. So Alien Resurrection... I said it again. Alien 3 was the studio movie. 7 was something more of a personal project. Then he did The Game, which was a studio movie. And then after The Game, he did Fight Club, which was more of a personal project. And the next one after that was Panic Room, and then he did Zodiac. I may be getting them in the wrong order now. But it's always alternated between something that was more of a personal project for him and a movie for the studios. But the point of it, the entire trajectory of all that, is that other than Alien 3, even the ones he did for the move, for the studios were projects that he found himself and took to the studios and said, you could do a really good, Big budget movie with this. I mean, the girl with the dragon tattoo. That's one of the. I mean, that's an adaptation, which is quite unusual for a him. lot. Of, so, no, I mean, a lot of Fincher's adaptation. He hasn't done a sequel like that before, but 
yeah, yeah, it's no. impression he tries to do something different each time. So maybe yeah. this is well, maybe yeah. It just bizarrely because seems... he hasn't done it before. Maybe this is him well, doing yeah. something different. Yeah, but also, Fincher's style and the original World War Z were just light years apart. Because mm. Fincher is one of those directors who has an extremely recognisable signature style. And the first World War Z didn't have anything of the Fincher style about it. And I just don't see the, how the Fincher style fits a zombie movie. I mean, yeah, you know, it'll come out and we'll all yeah. say, oh, of course, and it'll be probably amazing. Who knows, well, maybe bit, it'll be a pile of shit, but it it's could be like amazing. Dan, it's about like Danny Boyle doing a zombie movie. I mean... Yeah, but Danny Boyle's style fit with all the things that he does a lot more closely than when you, they said Danny Boyle's doing a zombie movie. You look at Train Spotting and say, right, I can see how the director of that could do a zombie movie. But I look at the, I look at the girl with the dragon tattoo, and I think I cannot see how the director of this is doing a zombie movie. Do you know yeah, what I mean? We'll find out. But I look at Seven and I look at Fight Club, and I think, <clears throat> okay. You throw zombies into that sort of that kind of look, but it's the speed of the zombies. Oh, World War Z up. is a fast zombie, like a yeah. twenty-eight days yeah. later. Whereas yeah. Finchers are all about the slow reveal of the information and the slow unfurling of the characters. I love the idea <laughs> of a zombie fight club, though. That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, it'll come out and we'll all see it. But I'm just saying, you brought up James Gunn. And it suddenly made me think, yeah, because this, this has been on the cards for months now and it's been nagging at me the whole time. What on earth is Fincher doing on a sequel, zombie sequel? TV series of World War Z now as well, isn't it? Winter. Yeah, so. Probably. Is it, does zombies talk in it? Is the TV series not related to the films? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't mm. know. I'm not sure. David Fincher's just done a video for LCD Sound System as well, I think. Has he? I think it was David Fincher. Well, he started out on director. Did he start out on pop videos? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it could be. Are we, is there a reason we're avoiding the subject? (laughs) Let's go around the table then. (laughs) Simon, did you enjoy it? Uh, I'd better say, did you enjoy tonight's episode of Doctor Who, The Ghost Moment? I've just watched it for the second time. And Mm. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, what was your reaction the first time? First time was it... I don't think Doctor Who has ever looked so good. And some of those effects were off the scale. Really beautiful. And uh, the performances from the central actors was really good. But it felt a little bit disjointed and clumsy and... um, Thin? Yeah. And the second time it... it, Not to preempt what I'm about to say. Yeah, no. And and something I'll come back to is it felt like a lot of stuff was being explained. Yeah, we'll by, come back by to characters, that. one particular in ca- character in particular. Um, but the second time round, it didn't smart on me quite so much because mm. I did watch it and think, "Oh, I'm not sure I want to watch this again." But I'm glad I did because All I right. a lot more save some it. of this, save yeah. some of this, yeah. save some of this. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> well, sometimes I've got to get these words out, so I don't get a chance. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. Actually, you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was all right, hmm. Matt. Yeah, it was all right. I got, I liked it, um, certainly at the start. I'm glad it was only 40 minutes long. 50. 50 minutes long, because I think if it had been any longer, then mm. it would... I mean, it was starting to get repetitive. And it was mm. starting to be, let's go down the ladder into the next piece of jeopardy, let's go up the ladder into the next piece of jeopardy, sort of Krypton factor. 
But the doctor needs to tell us bef- yeah, before yeah, how quite how dangerous it is. Yeah. yeah. So it was very much. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't geared towards. It filled in a lot of the blanks for you. So if I was a seven-year-old watching it, yeah, then I'd think that, that was really clever the way they sort of foreshadowed that by directly talking about that jeopardy before they got into it. Um, but I kind of liked it all the same. Mm. Lee, this is like smile to me. It was a, felt a wee bit empty. I was going to bring out smile. Yeah, um, it's a wee bit empty, and the doctor's walking around telling you what everything is. Yeah, basically. I mean. I, Interestingly, we're reading a book called Into the Woods, me and Simon, about um, writing and screenplay and all that. You make it sound like you're Bert and Ernie. Sat sat in bed with a book in between you. I said, the story of Into the Woods. I've got three quarters of the way through the book. And and because I'd never got round to it, I'd renewed it three times at the library. Wow. No, 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 I renewed it twice, that's right. And, because uh, he spends all his time then, sitting in bed with Lee uh, saying, you ready to turn the page? <laughs> no. You ready to turn the page? Lee reads no. slower than Simon. <laughs> that's true. Well, Lee works Root in the library. Turn the page, really. Well, it's because um, Simon has to read out loud. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I got so far through the book, and then I got the, the email saying, no, you can't renew it again because somebody's reserved it. And then I find out it's Lee who's reserved it. <laughs> that's so really he's got funny. What's the book? It's called Into the Woods by... Uh, Taylor Swift? <laughs> John York. John York, thank you. Is this yeah. like a folk horror No, no, no it's no, all no. about um, it's not writing. Fiction. I have meant, I think oh, I've okay, mentioned yeah. it as podcast you're still, you're still reading that. <laughs> yeah, but it, <laughs> oh, yeah, but the only time I get to read is when I go to bed. And of course, oh, as soon as I go to yeah. bed, I fall asleep. Yeah, no, Lee, but, Lee wants attention. And, <laughs> <laughs> but also, and then you have to fall asleep to avoid poking me with this thing. Oh, no, I've just realised what Into the Wood means. Yeah. Well, he said it was a stick anyway. Anyway, the point was... What was the point? Oh, yeah, uh, the point was... Um, and this was a conversation. Uh, yeah. he sees Simon sees who's reserved it and takes it back to the library and rings up Lee and says, have you got wood yet? <laughs> well, I'm halfway through my wood, but it's... I don't um, know why he rang him up since it's uh, next I'm going to buy the book. Anyway. It's such a good book. You are going to buy it, yeah. And I, I, I'm at the show, don't tell section. You're going to buy it on audio, aren't you? <laughs> Do you know what? I prefer everything on audio. Because <laughs> yeah. I drive a lot, so it's better. But no, yeah, it's, it's at the show, don't tell moment. And then I was just looking through it today and then watching Doctor Who today and thinking, I think we got about three quarters of the way through and you were getting, probably getting annoyed with me, JR, because I was sitting next to you going, oh, what, really? What, again? I know it's on the floor. Stop. You don't need to point it out. I know that's happening. Mm. <laughs> it's an American thing, uh, it seems to be, because you get that on a lot of American shows where they just tell you everything. You know, things like, oh, where did they come from? Look, they're there. Or what? It, they've gone. But, it, I but know they've why gone. they've done it is in case they ever lose these episodes that we won't need the pictures. <laughs> but also, <laughs> but also, you won't get. This, that's really helpful. This is a time when you won't get anybody complaining that you com- they complain during Stephen Moffat of not being able to. These are the stories that my parents can follow without yeah, but, them saying what was happening. What's know, we I just know. watched two scenes and we just couldn't follow it. But it's quite unbelievable when you when you read this book and it says show don't tell and you know this is about script writing and Chibnall and all you know it's it's the flagship program for the BBC you need to be leaving a bit for the viewer to get and most of it is on screen already. Well, the ironic thing about it is at the beginning 
there was all these little things dropped about, you know, mm. the situation with the race and all this sort of that thing. She was saying, oh, yeah. she was talking about bonuses. The, the, yeah. You know, like, what bonuses? What, what are you on about bonuses? But you find out later in the episode what, what they're talking about. So when I watched the episode again, it all made perfect sense what the the pilot was saying. Right. It so, did strike me as slightly odd the way she was fixated on, I don't know what's going on on this planet, when yeah. it's not really something we've not seen a million times no, before. no. A planet where everybody's dead and it's a dust bowl is just like any planet at some point in the future, isn't it? Mm. But maybe that's part of the, the restarting. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is the first alien planet for everybody. Well, yeah, but what I mean is, it's not some, I, when I say it's something we've seen a million times before, mm. I don't mean in Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just in general. Every planet turns yeah. to dust Should, eventually. I actually point. really like the story. I thought the story had... I think in in general it was well shaped, but yeah. like you say, those layers that are under the surface, the bits that make you go with the doctor and say, "Yeah, there is a mystery. What is the mystery?" Yeah. We're missing the definition of those yeah. layers mm. that were sitting under the surface; just weren't there. I, th- I thought we were going to see the um, clowns from the Great Show of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's one thing. I was watching it and I was thinking, if if there was a mention of the Daleks here, it would feel really weird. Yeah, it felt like. It didn't feel like Doctor Who, and then almost. you suddenly get except it was Doctor Phoenician Who. Aikido. Well, yeah, instead. so yeah. and that felt, but that was sort of a throwaway thing. And there was a but couple was, of those, yeah. But they were talking about mm-hmm. a devastation that happened, and I was thinking if this had been Russell T Davis or Stephen Moffat, then it could have potentially been the Daleks, and they could have slipped it in, like much like Lee. Well, um, instead they slipped in the Stenza, didn't they? From yeah, last yeah. week, yeah. yeah. So, sorry for there not being any story arc. Yeah. (laughs) But we're looking Mm. for so much more because we've been fed the Moffat era. I wasn't wasn't disappointed by that. By that feeling that that if they had mentioned it, it would be unusual because I'm quite liking. I wanted to be more radically new and and different. I am liking the fact that um, Jodie's doctor doesn't, as as, has been, you know, uh, she's not been the master. Of of each of the stories, she's not turned around and gone. Oh, the Stensy, I know them. Oh, I know what that that mm. does. Oh, yeah, this planet, yeah, I've been here before. You know, all the doctors in the past, well, the past ten years, seem to well, know everything. In particular, yeah, and that was getting really annoying. And it's great to have a doctor who doesn't know what the hell's going on. I think, and yeah, pa- she still describes everything. That was the weird thing. <laughs> it's like she's a doctor who doesn't know what's going on, and yet she's still describing everything. It is ahead almost of like she's thinking out which loud. Is, yeah, but it just. It didn't feel like that quite connected as an idea. No, not quite. I, I think it doesn't. It just doesn't have. I don't think he writes wittily like Stephen Moffat. Yeah. I don't think he. There's t- a lack he, of confidence in our lines, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And I don't think he's got the the ability to write jokes like Stephen Moffat. So instead, you get that space filled up with descriptions of what's going on and occasional moral conversations about. God. About guns mm. and and family and mm. staying together as a well, team. Well, I think that's going to be good for children. <laughs> well, I think that's going to be the thing that defines Chibnall's Who yeah. is those occasional moral homilies that you get along the way. Um, I think possibly it's not that it's not there in the writing. I because the thing that I spotted watching this tonight is her performance is always pitched just that little bit beyond natural. She's yes. always just that little bit shoutier. Mm. And actually, 
we didn't get round to me, but I was going to say what was my instant reaction to the episode was she's starting to irritate me in that she gets breathy every time she starts speaking way that Peter Davison did. Mm. Oh, and, I noticed that last week. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, well, last week I was like, it's regeneration. Okay, she'll settle down. Mm. But actually, if it's going to be like that all the way through, that could start to get grating. But But the breathiness when you're talking is a symptom of the, she does everything just that little bit louder. Mm -hmm. And it's like she's sort of shouting at everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think this walking into the room and saying what's going to happen next, I think that could work if the performance came in a bit. Absolutely. There was was a few sections where she she did bring her voice down. Just a little bit, yeah. Her performance, the nuances in her performance completely changed. Yeah. Far more natural, far more affecting. But those were rare and far between, Mm, weren't they? But there was an awful lot of running around and going up and down ladders. So so having a breathy performance, they might just have been... You know, but there was breath. almost there was almost like an over the top clown moment when she comes out the door and, and fires the sonic screwdriver. And yeah. when you look at it again, I mean, you, you probably spotted it, JR, But when she, I know exactly the she, shot you she, mean. She, yeah, she yeah. literally overdid it, and you think, well, hang on a minute, you don't need to completely overdo it. It's not a pantomime. And I'm think I'm worried that she might end up performing like the '80s actors were performing for the kids, going into a show and going, "Oh, this is for kids. I'm going to do it like this," as opposed to just doing it as an adult drama. I don't let yeah. the pick up. I don't think the reason that she might be doing that if the, she's doing it consciously the is the for thing. kids thing. I think it's the it's supposed to be action. And this okay. is where I don't think the music suits the I think there's a disconnect between the music and the direction and the performances and the script. And when you see the episodes more, it might settle down and you might get used to it. But at the moment, because it's a shock to the system after Moffat and after Russell T. Davis, it's taken a bit of time to bed in. And at the moment, for me, the music, the direction, the performances and the script are all in slightly different places from each other. Mm. So things like the breathiness and the slight shoutiness are becoming really apparent Mm. because they don't seem to suit the other things. Mm. So like the music, which I thought this week was less notable noticeable mm, mm. necessarily than last week there were some beautiful moments in it yeah. but when it, it got to beautiful. the action sequences the music just can't suit the action mm. so so I felt the script was trying to be a bit more rompy mm. and I felt the director was trying to make it a bit more genuine and I felt the music was trying to make it a bit more like a slow burning chiller and the performances were trying to make it a bit shouty and for kids. And so you've got these four distinct things all happening at the same time that meant the episode just... Cause... I know what you mean. You can't argue yeah, with any of that. Slightly <laughs> misfire. It, it was a, like a slow burn misfire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, as a sec- they've deliberately held off the reveal of the TARDIS. Yeah catching up with the TARDIS till the end of the second episode, when it could quite easily have happened at the end of that first episode. And the end of the first episode would be, hurrah, we found the TARDIS. Now we get to go off and have adventures. But they've say, they've delayed that for a week. So this week is kind of a bonus adventure over the number of adventures or the arrangement of the adventures you'd get with any standard showrunner who would do the TARDIS reveal at the end, like um, Mm. Matt Smith walking into the TARDIS at the end of the 11th hour. 
So we've got this sort of bonus week. And instead of the bonus week being um, a good guys, bad guys story, uh, these are the bad aliens, we've got to do something about it. Instead, you get this slightly odd, well, the doctor's fetched up in the middle of a race. So it's slightly bizarre in that you've got an extra episode before you get the TARDIS reveal on the one hand. And then on the other hand, it's slightly bizarre because it's not your standard good guys, bad guys, Doctor Who story. So the fact that you've got these two slightly offbeat things happening at the same time as well is also pulling away from the centre, if you know what I mean, of the episode. And it felt to me like this episode would have worked in that context if they'd have spent more time on the character development between Ryan and Graham. But they essentially just had one scene. Yeah. Ryan and Graham. I was mm. thinking, actually, um, you know... But that would have filled that gap. Apart from the, the two new characters, who had actually quite an interesting story to tell, but they didn't explore it enough, I didn't think, was, uh, you know, the, the the woman had a great story to tell, something about her family, the Stenza, and, you know, these high-rise... She was great. The high-rise really rusting good. kind of... It, that sounded like a great world to have a look at. Hopefully mm. we'll see it. Mm. Um, and it'd be, be good to have followed her story a bit more, something like that. She'd have made a good companion, too. But I didn't think any of the companions or the Doctor had any character development whatsoever in this, did they? There wasn't really any... Well, I think, I think you didn't give, still... The story didn't give them anything to do to show, to highlight how brilliant they were, apart from maybe one thing that... Um, I think he's Ryan's still nudging them along rather than nudging. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I think he's he's sort of slowly. Uh, yeah, and they haven't travelled to the but, past. But yet, this is so. a questy type story, isn't it? It's like you go from one place to another mm. with a few puzzles in between. Yeah. So surely. Yeah, but I think what Chibnall's doing is he's telling that that story across all ten episodes. Okay. Which is why we only get one scene with Ryan and Graham because most other writers, or most other series, most other anything. They'd have said, right, this is the episode in which to tell that story. And that would have been, maybe not resolved, but it would have been a lot closer to a resolution. Whereas this episode ends with Ryan and Graham in exactly the same place as they are at the start. And Mm. there's just the one conversation. We're counting the episodes until Graham's cancer comes back, is what I'm thinking. Maybe. Because that that sort of development... Do you think that's the only thing that's going to make Ryan turn around and say, Granddad, I love you? Well... Possibly, okay. I don't know. And but, but it I mean, is, you know, it is going for that sort of genuine, emotional, heartfelt moment. Yeah, mm. that um, you'd get with something like that. And that's the sort of thing that maybe the doctor can't help. No, would. Mm. So whether Graham, <laughs> this is a bit depressing, but Graham not surviving till the end of the season. The result, though, I, I was talking earlier about various rumours that there were before it started, and another uh, tied in with the one series every 18 months was, we're only going to have this team for this series, mm. and then next time around, because it's 18 months, maybe, mm. it'll be Jodie and two, one, three, four, however many other people. So this team will split up at the end of this year. That was mm. also part of that rumour. And I guess, if that's where it's heading, where Matt says... Maybe that would be the catalyst for them all to leave. Yeah, maybe. So maybe that would be the catalyst for splitting up the team. Who knows? Wish I hadn't thought of it, man. But if that is the kind of thing that you can imagine yeah, that's, Chris Chibnall doing yeah. in Doctor Who. Because you can do that. You can do that without making it hideously depressing. Mm. But you can do it in a way 
that also connects emotionally with an audience, yeah, and which is what he likes to do. They are a unit that I don't you can separate either. You know, there's the granddad and Ryan, they're, they're related, so it's in a way kind of thing. So that they're not going to say, you know, the granddad isn't going to go off into space with Jody. he just won't. Ryan probably won't do that either. And, and of course, don't forget, got, Ryan got, and Yaz were school yeah, together. I was going to say, yeah. Yaz yeah, at school together. So they've got connections. There's the boyfriend-girlfriend connection, possibly, that might spark off. So it doesn't feel like any of them are going to turn around and go, oh, I'm going to travel with you, Doctor. So yeah, I think you're right. But they're all going to stay. It feels They're like going to stay at the end of the season and she's going to find someone else. Yeah. Maybe. It feels like a natural progression to the way this story is being told. Because previously, you've uh, Rose, you... Rose had a journey, but you learned all about Rose in that first episode. And nothing about Rose there. I mean, there are things like Father's Day, where you get a surprise in that she makes the Doctor go back twice and messes up the timelines. But we have seen in the first episode the character who will do that if the opportunity presents itself. Mm. Nothing about Rose after that first episode came as a surprise. The whole character was there in that first episode. Whereas with these three, like Matt was saying, it feels like you're not being told. You're not being given the shape of the characters and you're going to learn it as the series goes on. But just to finish, if you're telling a story where you do that, where you learn the characters as it goes on, when you finish telling the characters' stories, is at the end of the series and that's the end of their story. And so that's when they leave. It feels like in the past, so Rose had Rose got all of her character development at the beginning, mm. but then a rushed piece at the end where she becomes a little bit too cocky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same with the same almost with Donna through yeah, sort of yeah. melding, and the same with Martha. So in the past, they got to the last the the closing points of the companions, and suddenly realised we've got to develop these characters in a particular direction and they sort of rush through the development. That's why I, it's another reason why I think Planet of the De- Planet of the Ood is way too early in Donna's mm. timeline mm. because in Fires of Pompeii and Planet of the Ood she has those big emotional moments no doctor this is what you should do at the end and it's like after that point where else is there for that character mm. to go there's absolutely nowhere if those episodes had been saved till about 6th 7th 8th in the series it would have felt like Something the character natural. was developing yeah. And that's what Chibnall seems to be doing. He seems to be looking at what Russell T. Davis did, looking at what Stephen Moffat did. And I don't think he's going away from either of them, but I think he's trying to combine the best of both while doing his own thing, which I think like... And, and I'm also seeing this this episode as kind of the second part of a two-part yeah. two part story. They kind of blend into... Well, they kind of go from one... But there's also the contrast between the two. So the first story is really dark and is set at night and... And this story is deserty and an alien. So there's there's the contrast, but that almost makes them the perfect two part story. Yeah, with this kind of bridge in the middle, like how Russell T Davis considered Rose and the End of the World. Yeah, not a two parter, but was gonna was originally planning to put them out both on the same evening, mm. so we'd get mm. like a movie length Doctor Who. Yeah. essentially. Mm. Um, hearing your accidental slip into nearly saying Planet of the Dead. Mm. I mean, apart oh, this from was it, very Planet of the Dead. Yeah. I was going to say, apart from the obvious, did you see the one thing that was very Planet of the De- Dead? Oh, go on. Was, well, what was the obvious was that? Oh, you obvious, mean the it's a, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, no, yeah. Sound. Um, no, the um, the creatures at the end who just oh, happened, swarming who just happened to be cloth psychic. Mm. Oh, yeah, and coming out with that business about 
Oh, the sort of... The child out of time or wherever it was. That was extremely... Planet of the Dead. Stroke yes, offer. absolutely. Yeah. Just like the one on the bus. Yeah, I suppose it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, mm. that felt a little... What was that all about, the child out of time? Well, we don't know. But it just seemed to come out of nowhere, didn't it? <laughs> oh, but here we were... go. There's another secret about the Doctor coming but out. But this is supposed to be, and I think it probably is, slightly more Russell T. Davis than it is Moffat. Yes, definitely. But I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's deliberately avoiding being Moffaty. I think he's thrown Moffaty no. type things in both episodes we've seen so far as a sort of nod of the cap. Probably s- s- selling him short in that, as you say, it's his own vision. But, you know, there are parallels. Yeah, he de- he's, I think he's doing his own thing, but I think he's definitely doing it in within the template that's been set down. And I think maybe the music and the camera work mm. is making it feel more distinct than it really is. Mm. I, just, I just felt that bit about... Yeah, the child out of time or, or wherever. Oh, it's something that even you don't know about. It's like because this okay, episode that's convenient. <laughs> but this episode was Smile Meets Planet of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. There was um, there was not much of a race feel to this race program because there were only two of them left. There's two of them left. It could have been like um, a Tintin episode, couldn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the TARDIS in the centre of a pyramid or something. Yeah, I mean, they, they started... But this is what I think. Yeah. What I mean when I said I think it was written to be a romp. Yes. And in the direction, the director's gone a completely different way. Sorry, Lee. No, that's that's what I was going to say. It didn't oh, have well, the pace. Double sorrow, then. It, it, <laughs> well, it didn't have the pace, did it? I mean, if you've got two against each other and it's like a billion credits or something, I mean, they were far too nice to each other. Sure, you just like... It's more like a, a Top Gear special. Mm, where, <laughs> where they have some like mo- moments of jeopardy, but essentially they're all on the same side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it did feel like that. I mean, that, that's why it didn't come as a surprise at the end when they were shaking hands again. We'll do it together because I just I didn't think there was enough tension between the two. I characters. think if you'd have had a third one, yes. then you could have brought yeah, that in, especially if one one of those died on the way. Well, oh, reason, but also you, know, you could have had tensions w- there, one plotting, setting the other two off against each other. Yeah. But because you only had two, like seventy, you couldn't yeah. get that. But it continued the first episode doing something different with alien race, alien species. Yeah, that even even um, I can't remember the actor's name. There's only three actors. Um, what was the name of the the main organizer of the race? Art Malik. Art Malik. Even he was kind of he wasn't a villainous character he was just mm. quite a sort of I, laughable i adored his um he was just a tycoon really yeah he was really yeah, good yeah um, um, i don't know what the word is for when he was nod to trump <laughs> <laughs> no, not another one um no no he was doing that thing where he was he was like i'm not doing that you know it was that mm. kind of yeah yeah quite a blase attitude dismissive dismissive that's yeah. It, yeah did you did you get the um indiana jones reference what was that? I don't do as I got it was a, a It was a good one. It was a good one. It was Ryan and he goes he looks down the hole and he goes, oh. Why does it have to be ladders? Instead of why does it have to be snakes, snakes, snakes yeah, and yeah. ladders, snakes and ladders. Oh that's brilliant. But that myself and the wife looked at each other the second time for the second ladder and, and we said, Well that's the second time he's done that in the, this episode. Yeah. He's come down the ladder okay. Yeah. I mean, that could be my ignorance as far as dyspraxia is concerned. I know it doesn't just disappear. That was the whole point with him not yeah. achieving on the bike. But, but I, I thought I, that was kind of... I do like... He, 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 he climbed a crane he can, last he can, week. He can do... He can climb ladders. He just doesn't like no. climbing And there is a line so when he gets to the bottom of the first one with Yaz where she, say, where she says you made it. Yeah, yeah. And he says, sorry, it's taking so long. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's not as I'm if not, the second not, one leaps I, out of nowhere. I'm not diminishing no. the problem the character has, mm. but it kind of felt like it had yeah. already been addressed. But we, see, we we do see that he doesn't succeed on the bike in the first episode. Yeah, and there is a yeah. bit. There, are in fact, twice in this episode, there are bits where he falls over, mm. where he where he probably shouldn't have or wouldn't have mm. if it hadn't been for that. And on both those occasions, actually, unless I'm misremembering, but they didn't dwell on it. No, he just is, falls which over. Is that should be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I think I'm yeah. going to have to go and have a look at dyspraxia and. and read it up properly because there's a moment where he jumps out and he does the Medal of Honor thing mm. or Call of Duty and then shoots all the robots brilliantly and then jumps back in and I'm wondering whether people with dyspraxia can play um, video games for instance because I mean that's quite oh, a lot of special no, my awareness daughter, my daughter um, who has disabilities part yeah. of her condition they've described as being a form of dyspraxia right and she's a whiz on the Wii okay, because when you're so on how the... is it then why is it different it's, because you're putting yourself doing, into a different headspace. I, I guess, guess I think it's to do with spatial awareness as well. Yeah, yeah, but isn't you, okay? Well, maybe the spatial awareness you're you're focusing on the box, but it's always moving around. It's almost like you want to. Yeah, but I think, but I think what you're doing it's is if you're playing a computer body. game, right. you're playing in a programmed space. Right. So I think subconsciously you become aware of the way the programmers program that space. So it's. Whereas real space is a random space. And I think the idea with when um, Ryan goes in and starts shooting up is that his head, in his shooting head, up. Yeah. <laughs> shooting up the robots, but in his head, he's gone back into a programmed space. Okay. So the dyspraxia doesn't kick in because right. he's not. He's not recognizing the randomness of the space. If You're you know also. I mean. in, I'm not afraid of that. Very I mean, well, in a way, you need. I'm sure we could design a game for dyspraxic people. You know, if you had. Pro- like, well, Ryan, I imagine they do. Probably. You know, climbing up oh, a ladder. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And mm. then you just put it like Ryan did in. He went and shot. Well, maybe it'll come later in the series. Maybe yeah. it will become recognized. It, that it's you these, know, yeah, you know, that children's TV series, Trifu Tom, the Sophie Aldred. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was a lot of that was designed for dealing with dyspraxia or to. You know, so he would do lots of actions before his magic powers up. They'd have to do certain actions with their body, so they'd have to put their arms in certain positions and things like that. Yeah, because it moves your headspace, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess I'm calling it headspace, but you know what I'm saying. As far as I'm aware, it's to do with the communication between the brain and the brain and the body. So I love that bit when he ran out and shot everybody out. That's hilarious. Apparently, also, (laughs) we've just gone off. Especially when he runs back screaming. He runs back screaming. Yeah, again, I thought the music really tore that scene down. I thought it would have been hilarious, but the music was so inappropriate yeah. for what was going on that it kind of took the comedy out of it. Yeah, it's strange. In isolation, that music's great. <laughs> it just doesn't seem I think to work it really works when it's doing the slow burny stuff. Yeah. But mm. I just don't think that music is appropriate for action adventure. And when Doctor Who... Did you notice that... It veers when, between the two, doesn't it? When the ship was crashing... It was this fast-paced, percussive, like you were saying last week, mm. you were saying about stuff with rhythms and that whatever. It was very difficult to build because it's kind of at a, at a certain tempo. So it doesn't... Mm. It doesn't yeah, change. It doesn't yeah. change. So while that was all going on, that was that. was that. Then it cut back down to the planet where they were running away from it and it changed again. Then it cut back to the ship and that music started again. So mm. it was almost themic. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. I think it, I that think worked. it worked. That worked better. Yeah. I wonder if we'll start to recognise repeated... Uh, melodies and particular rhythms. Mm-hmm. That melody that when the Doctor finally walks into the TARDIS. 
Yeah, I mean, that was my favourite bit of the whole episode. Well, we had that. We had that twice, didn't we? Because we had that when she first saw the TARDIS. Now I've only seen it once, and I couldn't say for sure, but I think it was a variation on the same melody. Mm. Okay. So we mm. had it, and when I think she... it appeared in the last episode as well. Once, I think, or maybe I couldn't say. I didn't hear any of the music. <laughs> I tried listening to it, but then I realised that it's just no point. So mm. it just washes over me. I like the title sequence. <clears throat> I said, well, yes. while we're on the yeah. t- music, we should. We haven't talk talked about, about the title sequence or the TARDIS yet. So that's true. Okay, let's do the title sequence straight first. into the title sequence. Yeah, that was a slightly odd choice. I nice. really liked it. Last week, I thought the music we'd be discussing, didn't we? Yes, it was a bit the ambient and the drums. It just felt disparate or you know it just felt like it was thrown together and it was a bit clumsy and there was too much and too much going on as opposed to like middle ground and orchestration but this time something was different and it sounded really good yeah, I, I liked it, it a there lot was a real, there was a kick drum yeah but there was a lot of bass yeah, it felt like it was bass, I, think, I don't think I picked up on the bottom level of the rhythm it sounds really picky but yeah i wasn't hearing the kick drum in in the bottom which was mirror you know um was kind of yeah hearing the bass yeah yeah which is what the the top percussion was working yeah. with but it, i thought but, it was better and I'd, i love the visuals on it it was great mm, mm. yeah it was, brilliant. Um, fantastic actually right. it felt like a really <clears throat> fancy expensive version of Something more akin to, and it wasn't really, but the closest in the classic series would be the McCoy one. Which it was like the, that Matt Smith, that short-lived Matt Smith one. Yes, it was with the weird sort of shapes coming in, which yes. at the time reminded us of the, of the McCoy one. Yeah, which has I, like, I like the effect at the start, where it's you know the, the equivalent of somebody putting their hand on a record, making it at the start. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. Quite cool, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, but that's such an obvious thing to do. It's not the first it's time. Obvious. It's never been done not to Doctor Who. Not to the Doctor Who yeah, theme. No, it has certainly on amateur versions of it, or things like the Orbital version. Well, it was, I'm it sure, was, it was yeah, done in the promo. Orbitals. That promo, you know, the promo sequence where the TARDIS streaks across. Yeah. The 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 lines. It was all sort of. Warped, it was a bit like that, mm. a bit dubstepy almost, possibly. <laughs> but um, the visual, the graphic that they're using is just reminds me of um, Inside the Doctor's Brain in the Invisible Enemy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but that's what it does. It's kind of got it, a pulsing thing going. Yeah. So instead of travelling, it's more like a pulsing. So it's almost mm. like if it's. Because I'm assuming it is another variation on the time tunnel. And I guess the star field is another variation. Uh, the variation always seems to be it, it, it represents the travelling. So if it's representing the travelling, then what this one is essentially saying, maybe not consciously, deliberately in that way, but it's essentially saying so the vortex is a living thing. Mm. So we're seeing pulsing of the vortex as Very high. organic looking. I was going to say organic. It's, the colouring's the same as the TARDIS, which is lucky. But I didn't think the organicness mm. of the titles reflected the... Or- it wasn't no, organic at all. No. It was like a metal cave. It was like it? lots of... You were saying about different things happening in different places in this episode. It feels yeah, like that as far as the... Giant crystals in the middle and the Central console has now got this giant crystal in it. And we're talking about the TARDIS now. Gone on to the TARDIS now. Yeah. I yeah. don't like it. No. I don't I like it. I thought it looked small. 
Yeah. I think it looked I, really small. Maybe I, that's the lens that they're using. All what do you mean it looks small? They've just walked into a little tiny box and there's a bloody great room there, Matt. But it's a yeah, smaller room. Than... And there's nothing in there. There's all this stuff around the outside and then you've got this console area in the middle and then there's just yeah, like this you're right. moat of dead air. It's like, we'll have a bit of this it. over here, we'll have a bit of this over here, a bit of this over here and then they pan out and then there's all those clear hexagons on the Which outside. Which haven't quite been finished. And you think, mm. it's just like, yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's like stage scenery in parts. Really but expensive stage scenery. Of, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I just didn't like it. It didn't sound, it didn't, it's going to be interesting to Even see how they not, set any action in there. Cause but the thing about it is, how you, can follow it. you know what I'm always saying about stories, all the various plots and subplots mm. have to sort of thematically connect. Yeah, you get inside that TARDIS and the walls around the outside don't connect with what's going on in the middle of it in any way, shape or form. No. The, the, in fact, no. the centre console looks very Eccleston. Yeah, and then shape, the, the outside is a lot more sort of Capaldi-ish, I'd say. It's more Tara than it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, it looks it? like um, hmm. the Invasion of Time, the yeah, room the Doctor exactly, builds. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. Mind you, add a bit of a moment, didn't it? TARDIS so, you know, exploded again. and I love the, scenes, I love the scene outside the TARDIS when she discovered it. Yeah, that was really well done. Yeah, and I actually felt a little bit of emotion. You felt emotion. I know. Yeah. Cyber Matt felt yeah. emotion. Yeah, I felt Jeez. a bit of emotion wow. when when she saw it. Did a tear. And partly that's Jodie Whittaker. I think that's just her performance, and partly it's the way they framed the TARDIS. Mm. Did, you, did your eyes get wet? At all? No, oh. <laughs> that you weren't emotional. It's <laughs> so <laughs> creepy when you say things like that. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I'm hoping next week she settles down and does something really different. Mm. Yeah. And I'm hoping the series settles down and does something really different. I think there's a good chance it will do. I mean, yeah. there's so many. I mean, everything's new. So at these the moment, two have both we're, been we're in Rose territory, mm. and I don't think Rose... Well, these two have both been directed by the same... If, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, these two have both Jamie Charles. I think they Charles. were doing Inboxer 2, weren't they? Yes, yeah, but they weren't always consecutive twos. Oh, okay. So this one and Rose... Rosa must be the same director. No, I think this one and last week were the same director and Rosa's different. But Rosa's, oh. they wouldn't have flown two directors to South Africa. I know, you're probably right then. So this was a different director. Yeah. Right, so it's in South Africa. Huh? Okay. Um, Not set in South Africa. Oh, right. That's it's right. set in America. Shh. Just they moving. told us that. <laughs> I didn't see it. Did you not look no, at the no, next time? No, but you were sad though. Matt, how long have you known me? But you didn't have your fingers I in your I did. Ears, did and you? my eyes closed. Oh, okay. You were too okay. busy wiping tears from your eyes from okay. that emotional scene. So yes, it's that's in South Africa. <laughs> okay, I'm going to kick you in a minute. Shush. <laughs> Just moving on from the title <laughs> straight into the last thing we saw from the previous episode. Did you suddenly get kind of a flashback to the old series? The fact that we were suddenly seeing what we'd seen. Oh, a reprise. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I suppose it was a bit. <laughs> it was the I last really, image we saw. I really liked last one. I really liked directly going into I, yes. the title sequence. Yes. Because there's always I've always had a problem when there's a cliffhanger of, yes. of having the, the cliffhanger and the resolution in sort of 10, 20 seconds before then they do the title sequence. Mm. And this way it felt a bit more... It felt like they didn't resolve the cliffhanger until they got onto the planet and no. joined up together again. And that felt a bit more natural. Mm. Yeah, there were lots of really good things about this. But overall my sense of it was... Lots of really good elements that weren't quite meshing together. I think the five first five ten minutes were brilliant. Yeah, mm. and, and definitely from watching the second time, it was really solid. Right, right. I think mm. people will still watch it, and I think yes. I think it, 
lots more people will enjoy it. It's a more generalist. Yeah, it's more lowest common denominator than a a Moffat episode, I think. Mm. So, with that, if that's what Doctor Who needs to kind of carry on. Well, the way I described it at home, because we were talking about it at home after the first episode, and I said, it seems to have, it seems to have taken out all the things that you can really fall in love with. But if there are things that you can really fall in love with, then only a small percentage of the population will really fall in love with those things and a greater number might be annoyed by them. So by taking out all the things that you can really fall in love with, you're just left with lots and lots of things that you can quite like. Mm. And if 9 million people every week quite like it, that's better in terms of the viewing figures than if 6 million people a week really love it. And I think what what Doctor Who probably needs is getting that foundation repaired or getting that foundation strong, and then the next showrunner can do something a bit wittier and a bit more subversive. Well, I said this, didn't I? I said I, I could see the series alternating between mm. populist showrunners mm. and more experimental ones. Mm. Because if you build up the audience, then that gives you room to... So David, down. Finch, David Fincher <laughs> could very well. <laughs> Would be nice. <laughs> Take over. One thing I want to... Going back to uh, Graham... Or, or one thing I really loved at first I questioned which I hated myself for as to where the sunglasses came from because I thought so they must have been in Capaldi's outfit for her to have the sunglasses that she got from from hmm. LG Hepburn yeah yeah but she didn't have anything in her pockets but she didn't have any in her pockets yes <sighs> but now she's got some sunglasses but then she came to Graham and obviously there were he, yeah, but, yeah. I love the fact that he's older. He doesn't care. He just wants his eyes shielded. Whereas but one of the kids would have been on that wearing those. But you're he saying didn't care. You're, you're 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 assuming yeah. that she's telling the truth. Yeah, I was going to say the other she's thing probably is just the having a, a bullshit. Yeah, she's yeah. having a bit. Well, anyway, of a that, that's only a small thing. I love the fact that he just carried on wearing those sunglasses yeah, for the yeah. because you you and do that, would. don't you? Yeah, when you're out in the sun and you've got a bald patch. Yeah, Somebody but you wear a hat. sun and you've got a bald patch. You wear sunglasses. You wear sunglasses and that helps. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> just saying, when you're older and you're out in the sun, you've got a bald patch. Somebody offers you a hat. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter what it looks like, whether it's yeah. a straw boat or anything. You use it <laughs> and that comes with age because you stop caring. <laughs> I'm so going to get a straw boat for food. Christmas, um, yeah. Well, Start a singing group. <laughs> I love the custard cream. Well, that was a great touch. That was, yeah, that was yeah. nice. That was a really nice. Touch. The little spinny Spinning sort tars. of white tardis. That's what that's, that was. Yeah, that's, that's there's ridiculous. a lovely bit of merchandise to come. Yeah, isn't it? it was just a pointless. It was uh, yeah. You, you literally said out. Yeah, that. Well, well, unless the tardis changes that. shape and that changes shape with Could it. Did you just it? do an f bomb? No, I think I said what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> What the fluffing hell is that? <laughs> um, Venom farmers. What do you think this is? Venom? Yeah, the hourglass and the. The hourglass are right. There's always a silly thing in Doctor Who, isn't there? Like the pump and all that Not sort of thing. for a while, though. No. But I mean, it was also really odd. Ridiculous. And I don't think either the actor or the director quite knew which way to go with it. But she walks in and sees this brand new console and then she has to operate it. So the first shot of her was. The first shot was of her really confidently doing one thing, and then the next shot was of her really tentatively doing something else. It was almost like they'd got the shots the wrong way around. She was supposed to start tentative and then get more confident as she worked mm. out what everything was. Wasn't the confident shot her just turning a, a, a 
An hourglass. An hourglass. <laughs> yes, but what? But <laughs> the yeah, but the TARDIS consoles, the ones that have had things like typewriters on them, those typewriters have been there to serve a purpose. Yeah. So the hourglass is there to serve a purpose, yeah. presumably. So she's not just turning an hourglass, or even if it's, uh, if it transpires that she is just turning an hourglass, mm. she's got to find out first that it is just an hourglass and that it's not actually opening the doors or something. Mm. So she wouldn't have been that confident with the hourglass. Because that doesn't fit in with the idea of having had things like the typewriter. We had for decades and decades, didn't we, a TARDIS console that was practicable to use so you know it, we didn't understand what it did but there were buttons there were things it looked like a spaceship console didn't it mm. and in the last few series it's been a junkyard put together with really stupid little bits and pieces and I'm wondering okay we could explain it by saying the TARDIS is just trying to amuse the Doctor because you know plainly bored of the TARDIS looking the same all the time so I know I'll, gi- I'll give the, tar- uh, the Doctor this one to play with it does the same as this time rotor thing but I don't know. Can't we just well, have no, one? So can't we just have actually, one that's got some buttons on it? <laughs> actually, it hasn't been like that. Yeah, because the Capaldi one was, like was, yeah. was so. When my the oh, way right, I've, the way I've well, no, the way I've seen it is sometimes the TARDIS repairs itself, and sometimes the Doctor repairs it, like the Five Doctors right. or Matt Smith in the Snowman. He repairs it. He spends an eternity repairing itself. Yeah. When the Doctor does it, it becomes gleaming. And right. it starts looking like a spaceship. If the TARDIS does it itself, then you start getting things like egg timers okay. and bicycle right. pumps. I'll buy that. So there's kind of the, there's tar- weird... the TARDIS oh, yeah. just screws it up. Well, because logically, it should be the other way around. If the Doctor's doing it, he should be doing it with what's to hand. Yeah. Whereas if the TARDIS is doing it, it should be modelling itself yeah. according to its specs. I mean, 1950s sci fi, sort of um, 11th hour, didn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, but it was those crystals, I think. Those crystals in the space, the console would have been fine if it hadn't had that weird crystal sticking out of it because the crystal looked like it had nothing to do with the console. And previously, although you've got the time rotor in the console and they are two distinct things, they've always fit, whereas this mm. just didn't seem to fit. And then that's just that space around it. It was just it like... A, it didn't feel homely as well. Yeah, so exactly. Listen, the, it didn't feel like the only, the only time I felt no, that I in agree. a TARDIS console is Matt Smith's first one. With the sort of multi layers, I like when, that. When one. They, I like that one, and yeah. it felt like they lived there as well. Yeah, that's yeah. the only time, and actually, oh, right. and actually see, yeah. the modern series that I felt like the characters actually lived there. That's Matt Smith rocking underneath yeah. the console and that repairing was, it. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. really good. Even but, the Capaldi console, I didn't get the feeling that it was a livable space. It had no. all the books. And it things. felt solid, and it felt and it felt like a space. It felt, it felt like a study like rather office. than yeah, there. exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It Whereas this just feels like the garden that nobody uses. Or the old cave. Oh, yeah, Paul McGann's TARDIS, maybe. Yeah. Big operatic space mm. with no music in it. With, with mm. added bats. What the hell was that about? Um, the, I like that. I Is it missed it? This felt smaller than... <laughs> this almost felt smaller than the original than the original. Because there's nothing there in something it. about it. That it's just, just felt. space. Yeah, maybe we'll get more of a pan maybe. around to get to see it a bit better. <clears throat> but it didn't feel like Jodie. I think I said it whilst you were talking. But um, it doesn't feel like it's matching this Doctor. Mm. Well, she's I wonder, a lot more. She wonder whether yeah. she had input in the custard cream. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like. If you're going to ask the actor that's coming in to play the Doctor and they found their character, they should be really asking them 
because they have him put into their clothes sometimes. Mm. I think she have chose the costume. Yeah, she should have him put into the way the TARDIS looks, even, to reflect who they are as a, as a character. Well, the idea, obviously, is that the TARDIS has reconfigured itself without the Doctor being anywhere around. Yeah. So maybe the TARDIS isn't supposed to reflect no. the character. No, maybe. But if that's a deliberate decision, and possibly that's the wrong one, because now you've got to live with that character in that TARDIS, mm. and they should suit one another, yeah. regardless of the logic. Yeah, so quite, I don't know. It's quite orange. That do rising after a while, isn't it? Anything else then, or are we going to give it a score? I want to just say that we've been quite negative with a lot of this I've said a lot of negative stuff about it but what I want to reiterate is what Simon said earlier that it's a beautifully shot Doctor Who <clears throat> I think it looks ex- it absolutely gorgeous it's cinematic it's becoming up there with all the Netflixy Game of Thronesy type things you know I think in a few years time if Netflix ever decided to turn around and go why BBC do you want to do something with us then it would it would easily fit now you could just slot it in and um it would, it would be along those lines. I, th- I thought it was really nice, really beautiful in places. There were little tiny moments that just really shone, <laughs> character moments and comedy. I loved the boat. And the boat mm. was beautiful. It was very Martian Chronicles. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was, I, was, I, was I just love that sort of thing. I thought it was... They didn't do anything with the water. No, they no, described the water. Surprising, yeah, no, and they, they didn't have, but they didn't have enough characters to no push show, into the water. It wasn't water. show. show That's know. why they needed the third character in the race. Yeah, and they needed to fall, into, to the fall into the water to show you how dangerous it is. Yeah, yeah it's another thing that doesn't add up, isn't it? They were told that this place had been turned mean or something like that. Was yeah. it? I, I didn't. Really so cruel. cruel. I didn't yeah, get it. In cruel. The end. What, what actually happened? But they did an awful lot of what, and what happened where they walked into a shooting range. Well, it was explained that the Stenza were using the planet as a base of experimentation <coughs> into various why, types of weaponry. Why, oh, okay. why make the big point about the water? I mean, what actually happened in the episode involving well, I think, water? Well, the idea they just is the water tentatively, <coughs> and then they sailed across it successfully, and then they walked up the beach. And that but the it. idea yeah. is, when you get to the end, you've discovered everything on the planet is deadly, and then you want to know why. Right. But actually, in show don't tell terms, you discover everything's deadly by having somebody fall into the water and melt. Yeah. That's how you do it. So yeah. we're being told everything's yeah. deadly, but even and at the end, you discover that it's been used yeah. as a base of experimentation for all these weapons. Yeah. And then these people were going to try and... The people who made the weapons for the Stenza were then going to try and destroy the weapons before the Stenza could get their hands on them, which seemed like a slightly odd... Yeah. I mean, fair enough, though. It kind of works, but not quite. Yeah, like everything else. What about the things in the back of the neck for the language? Mm. That was just a... We can get past it, but I kind of wish they just hadn't brought it up instead. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just they spoke English, right? <laughs> yeah. Because the TARDIS was materialising and then disappearing again. So it seemed yeah. it was, that was there. It was. I think it was a bit yes. of a leap for... Was it Yaz <coughs> said, so these people are aliens then? And it's like, well, they don't look like aliens. And they've said where they're from. And for all you know, what, what they've said about where they're mm. from could just be a town you've never heard of. Yeah, and they've all got slightly northern accents and stuff. So. Yeah, it was a bit of a leap to say, oh gosh, these people are all aliens then. Is a bit, at yeah. that point, I don't know, or maybe I just missed something, and maybe it was yeah, more I obvious. Don't make a big thing out of it. It'd I be think quite it nice that, that the Doctor, you know, they're all speaking English and they understand each other. But you, you could have that moment of, you know, what? Yeah, actually, you're right. What? What's going on here? You know, because hey, wouldn't it she nice knew she to have was an episode looking... where there's literally aliens they couldn't understand. 
just had once. Web planet. Yeah, we've had. We have had. Uh, Tried to course. They have bad. Yeah, there have been occasions when, but not yeah. for a whole episode. Okay. Whole no, story, but, no. but, yeah, I see where you're coming from. <clears throat> um, oh, interesting. The, the different experience for me with a series that I haven't had before is my nine-year-old Freya is watching from the start. This is the first time she's watched it live from the off. Is that because it's the first time you've let her or because she's wanted to? Suitable. It's well. a mixture of both, really. I've usually, before now, I've thought, oh, should we watch it first? But she's become so good at kind of rationalising stuff that you can usually talk to her if there's stuff that, that troubles her. She didn't the Last week, she didn't like the guy with the teeth on her face. She just said, oh, that is really gross. But she wasn't in the least bit disturbed by it. I know some people have been... Have yeah. said that they um, didn't, you know, weren't, weren't very happy about it being like that that time of the evening with having that. I think I think it was the fact that the removal of the teeth was. Mm. That was no, great. I it's w- any worse than we've had in the old Doctor Who, is it? Really? Well, I mean, in classic Doctor Who, you had all sorts of horrific things going on, especially Morbius. during the sort of yeah during those three years with Robert Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe. You mm. had a guy who gets impregnated with insect juice and starts turning in, and his arms turning into an insect arm and then his head does and all this kind of stuff. Mm. That That's way more horrific than things we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. And you had that every week for three years back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Those were the days. But, um, <laughs> but it's become a generation of snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... She said that she didn't enjoy this one as much as last week's. And the thing that really wound her up was the fact that they were walking. When you were saying about the water, they were walking mm. in loads of water inside the shelter bit. Oh, right. And they said, that, oh, don't yeah. touch any of the water. She said, they're just walking in the water. She was getting really wound up about it. Yeah. They? I didn't mm. notice that. Yeah. Um, mm. There were a couple of... Th- there was uh, one thing that I noticed. One of the common complaints about Moffat's Doctor Who, and this didn't really have anything to do with him, but it was a production thing, was that they'd get big actors in and give them tiny parts. And I'm th- and I, I always think when they say that, no, they wrote a tiny part and this big actor was free for the amount of time and the amount of money they were prepared to pay yeah. mm-hmm. to do this tiny part. So they got a bigger name in. So, you know, you'd get um, Gandalf doing the voices in The Snowmen. Mm. And you'd get uh, Michael Sheen doing the voice in The Doctor's Wife or whatever. And here you had Art Malik, who was prepared to dress himself in a funny costume and a wig for an afternoon and film inside a tent. So they got Art Malik in to do two scenes. Mm. Mm. Well, that's no different. It's just the same. Mm. Um, the other thing Freya said was we, that conversation we had about it, I, I turned around to, to my wife and Freya at one point and said, is it me who is the Doctor explaining everything? Mm. And Freya watches X Factor, and Mel B yeah. is on there, and she's got this annoying, really annoying habit of when they have things like magic acts on there, she'll be giving a commentary of what's happening. Always, oh, always oh, taking the rabbit out of there. Always oh, done this. He's done that. So yeah, Freya turned around and said, "So the Doctor's Mel B then." <laughs> but the other thing is Freya's birthday <coughs> on Friday, and she doesn't know this, and she won't listen to this. So she's got a. Her auntie has bought her a... Mel B costume? No, no, no. no. <laughs> She's bought her a, a Jodie doll. Oh, Not the Barbie. That's that, quite expensive. That made me laugh yeah. the other day because somebody on Facebook said, oh, it's a really good likeness, the Barbie. What? It's Barbie. What? <laughs> Bizarre. I know. 
Right, let's score it then, shall we? <coughs> All right, Matt, I'm looking at you. I'm going to go with you first. Let's score. What did I give last week? Seven. I think you and I were seven last week. It's got and... to be six. Mm. Six. Okay. It's, it's not as good as... No, seven. I think it's as good as last week's. I, yeah, okay, I'll spoil it. Probably because people listening to this will have read my review anyway, some of them. I'm going to give it a seven too, because I was sort of between a six and a seven. But I think, especially given what Simon said about it, makes a bit more sense the second time. Mm. Benefit of the doubt, I think a seven as well. Because I think it's the same sort of issues as last week. Not necessarily all the same specific ones, but it had the same amount of issues and the same amount of good stuff, I think. I think this could have been a lot better. Um, the potential of being quite an amazing episode and quite fast-paced. And you really don't need people telling you what's in front of your face all the time. It bugs me a lot. So I'd have to knock it to a six. It might have been better six. the second time. You were eight last week. I know. I, I preferred last week's... I, li- I like the look of this week's better, but I preferred last week's... I don't know why. Better character development. More interesting. Yeah, fair enemy. I mean, there was an enemy... What, we, what do we have this week? Cloth. Well, this week was. I there. didn't mind that. No, I, I like that. Yeah. That was as well, my Jamesy. <laughs> it was as well, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. 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 No, I don't mind those being, you know, but I thought there might be something else. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. them the second time they appeared and started circling. At least. At least but that him being attacked by Cloth. At least they were more sinister when they weren't talking. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was really odd when they started to talk, these mm. bits of cloth. Yeah. Anyway, score, Simon. Um, I didn't like it as much as last week. So what did I say? Did I say seven or eight last week? Eight. eight. I said eight. Oh, then I can give this a seven then. Right. Well, you I'll, give I'll something work. a high seven and then a low seven. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, it just it didn't gel as well as last week. Uh, it also got a bit Harry didn't Potterish, feel... didn't it? The Death What's Eaters that? flying around mm. in the it's almost like a graveyard with the moon. Out the effects were amazing. Yeah. Tone shift. Planet of the Dead ended with swirly things flying around in the atmosphere as it, well. True. Last week's episode didn't true. feel like there was any. You said about there's a hole in the middle. There was no. I actually, sorry. So did Smile. Yeah, you're right. Did, sorry, it? sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. No, you say there was um. It felt like there was a hole in the middle of this episode, and yeah, they definitely felt like there was something missing. Which there wasn't last week. If it's popular, then go for it. I'm quite happy because it means there'll be more. And the longer, yeah, yeah. the more it happens, the longer it goes that on. That was kind of the, the point I was making about saying my daughter's buying a, you know, getting a doll and everything yeah. like that, and yeah. she's she's buying into it. She's loving it. Yeah, which is brilliant. It's what you want. I would say it? it'd be interesting to see what the AI is because I think the AI, the AI more than the viewing figure, lets you know what people think of it because people were tuning out of curiosity, and if they enjoyed it, but then. Mm. We didn't get an AI last week. They lost the data or something. Data, whatever no, you say. No, I can never say that word. Mm. Uh, apparently, yes, the, the AI usually comes straight after the overnight viewing figure. And we didn't get one last week. And somehow that information's been lost in the system or something. No way. That'd yeah. be interesting, wouldn't it? So astonishing. It, it happened for all programs on Sunday. They lost the entire AIs for all of Sunday. So it's not a conspiracy because they had a 63 or something. Um, but yeah. yeah, well, just to say, my teen group who were on this podcast doing class, yeah. a few years back, um, every single one of them is loving what uh, what was put out last week. So I don't know what they think about this one, but uh, yeah, big thumbs up from the teens. So, yeah, so far. 
I think the teens... Boys and girls. <laughs> I think the teens is perhaps the demographic that didn't take to um, Peter Capaldi. Yeah. I can imagine the kids loving him because he's like this grumpy granddad who says it as it is. And I can imagine the older people loving him because he's Peter Capaldi. But I think the teens is perhaps the demographic that probably said, oh, where's the eye candy or whatever. <laughs> because, I mean, they do. That yeah. is part and parcel of how you sell your programme, the eye candy. Um, is this another Chris Chibnall written episode? Yes. And next week is... Mallory Blackman. And Chris Chibnall, and both what? credited. So this will be, in, yes. it'll be wow. interesting next week to see if there's a change. Because I would not mm. never have thought that this was written by the same person as Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. No, that's because what I'm looking for. it's got the same for. dynamic as Dinosaurs <coughs> on a Spaceship, yet it doesn't have the same life to it. That's yeah. what I'm talking about, the director yes. and mm. the music. That's yeah. why I'm saying it's the, the production. Yeah, um, it's one of our favourite directors, yeah. wasn't it? But yeah, well, no, I don't think Stephen Moffat touched the Chibnall ones. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he didn't. Even the dialogue? No, I don't think anything in the Chibnall ones was touched by Moffat. I mean, maybe at all. maybe Chibnall's skill in Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat times was to make his scripts sensible yes. to Russell T. Davis and Moffat times. Yeah, so he's probably a good mimic. But I also think there was something distinct about Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and The Power of Three that separated them from the mm. Stephen Moffat ones anyway. I didn't think they felt like Stephen Moffat ones. No, no. But this, and this is, goes back to what I was saying at the start, this feels like it wanted to be more like Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, but that it was being made by a production team who wanted it to be something it doesn't, else. It doesn't feel in this series, like the next episode or a few episodes' time, the Doctor's going to hook up with Nefertiti mm. and a hunter, a big game hunter. No, it doesn't. And somebody else. That kind of, that kind of eclecticism, that kind of weirdness. Well, that feels that's like a different world. Which is, which is, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy to see it being a little more sincere, a little more serious for a while. Like next week's is starting to look not purely historical, but you know, mm. but more, given what more the... tonally serious and more tonally kind of well, given the circumstances of yeah. his subject matter. Yeah, yeah they're not it's... going to reframe the central character in the same way they did Dickens or Shakespeare. Or Nixon. Or yeah. they're not going to modernise her. They're going to keep her as straight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, so unless there's any other business. Right, in that case, mm. uh, until next week, well, we'll be talking about next week's episode. I was JR. I was Lee. I was Matt. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. What was that you were saying just before the podcast, Simon? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's everything's fixed. Right, <laughs> all taken care of. <clears throat> You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Simon. Um, oh, there was something I was going to bring up, and I completely forgot what it was. All right, I'm going to have to cut this bit. No, there was something else, and I've just totally blanked. Oh.